0: You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. We're on our series on Jewish ethics and war. And we're going to be speaking about putting your life on the line in order to defend the state of Israel. And these are difficult times. Every day there's word of soldiers falling in the war in Gaza. And there are some stories of particularly exceptional heroism. A few days into the war, corporate Matan Avogil was on the personal carrier with his unit. And as they were going into Gaza, they were engaging in battle, and a grenade was thrown into the carrier. He didn't hesitate. His colleagues saw him start to move towards the grenade instead of the natural instinct to jump away from it, realized what he was doing, tried to stop, and he said, no, I have to do this. And he blocked the grenade with his body, saving his colleagues, saving his fellow soldiers in an incredible act of bravery and of what we call Kiddush Hashem, of sanctifying God's name, of giving up one's life for being a Jew, for others, and for the Jewish people. And as he was dying, he said, this is what he said, I've tried to do all I can for my people and my country. How is it that a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid is able to rise up to such incredible bravery, such incredible acts of heroism? And Jewish tradition does not glorify heroism like Greek tradition does. It's not a glorification of the soldier of battle but it's the sanctification of God's name. It's doing a holy act, being ready to even give up one's life to save another. And Rav Chaim of Velozhin, the great 19th century sage, in his work Ruach Haim, his commentary on the Ethics of the Fathers, he says that Jews have this ability, and we've seen throughout history, have given up their lives for their Judaism and for their people over and over again and he says, this comes from our forefather, Isaac, from Isaac, who was ready to follow God's direction, to be brought up on Mount Moriah by his father, Abraham. And when we know at the last minute, it did not happen. God didn't want his life, but he was ready to give his life. And Rav Chaim says that that is seared into, passed down in a Jew's spiritual DNA, so to speak. It's something that we have in our nature. It's something we have in our spiritual inheritance from our ancestors. And if you look throughout Jewish history, there have been times during the Crusades when Jews were forced to be given the choice to be forced to be converted or to give up their lives, and they gave up their lives rather than turning away, forsaking their Judaism. And at other times, during the Shoah, during the Holocaust, Jews giving up their lives, simply because they were Jewish. So let's come back to discussion about war and a soldier. Judaism places preserving life over every value, almost. Uh, If one is in danger, one has a medical condition and it's Shabbat, we pick up the phone, we drive to the hospital, all of the commandments of the Torah are suspended. But life comes first. However, there's certain circumstances where other values come before. And particularly in defending the land of Israel. What we call Milchemet mitzvah, a war which is a mitzvah. And in his code, Maimonides and the War of Laws of Kings, he talks about. How the soldiers were addressed before they went out to war and how they got the strength to put their lives in danger. Now, you could even ask, first of all, is one allowed to put one's life in danger in such a circumstance? So, even on an individual level, we see that um, there are circumstances where, let's say, someone breaks into a person's home. Now, certainly in Judaism, our life is greater than our possessions. And uh, you would think, well, just run out of your home and let them take what they want and don't put yourself in danger. But in fact, one is allowed to stand up for one's, for one's possessions, even putting one's life in danger. Otherwise, as we know, society would break down and there would be no boundaries. So, uh, and it says in the Torah itself, if someone comes into your home at night, you're allowed to shoot first and ask questions later because... They're coming to steal and they know you're there and they're prepared to do violence to you in order to get what they want and we're allowed to use force to defend ourselves. That's all the more so so true on a national level. Um, You could say, well, we're in danger, just flee and then we would have no homeland, we would have no land of Israel. So Maimonides tells us how the soldiers are addressed. The act of going to war is not just self-preservation, it's not just preserving one's property, especially in the land of Israel, it's considered to be a godly act. And because of that, or an aspect of that, is that one's strength comes from the Almighty. The soldiers had a special Kohen Gadol, a special high priest who was sent out with the soldiers to war, with the Ark, In order to give them spiritual strength and morale. And this is how they were dressed. Listen, Israel, today you are about to wage war against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted, do not be afraid, do not panic, and do not break ranks before them. God, your Lord, is the one accompanying you to do battle for you against your enemies to deliver you. So it's considered that part of going to war was trust in the Almighty that we're fighting a holy cause and that God will help us. And sure enough, you look at the history of the state of Israel, 1948, 1967, we succeeded against all odds. And we just finished the holiday of Hanukkah, which is actually the only holiday that celebrates a military victory in a war. And, uh, the miracle of the oil is telling us that God was with the Jewish people in those battles as well. So an important, vital, central part of going out to war was one's trust in the Almighty. In fact, in the times of Joshua it was the most righteous, the sages who were the ones who were to go out to war. And in the Hanukkah story, the Maccabees were the Kohanim. They were the priests in Jerusalem. They were the teachers and the spiritual personalities who went out to war. Now, that being said, the Torah has another very interesting uh, exemption for going out to battle. It lists certain exemptions. In the book of Deuteronomy, we're told that the, uh, this Kohen Gadol, this high priest, addresses the troops. And by the way, today in the Israel Defense Forces, we have a chief rabbi of the army, and there are rabbis assigned to the army and we see today an incredible swelling of desire to connect to Judaism, to the Torah amongst the soldiers. They say that 200,000 pairs of tzitzit were sent to the army. And I have, I know someone who's constantly bringing sets of tefillin so the soldiers can put on tefillin. Uh, when you look at the pep talks, which were like the one we just read, Ah, uh, they're singing, dancing, and the prayers that are said, but at the end of Yom Kippur. So today as well, the spiritual component is a vital one. However, in the Torah, they're given an exemption. The high priest would say, "Is there anyone who has built a new house but not dedicated it? Is there anyone who has planted a vineyard but hasn't been able to harvest it? Anyone who's gotten married but has not yet set up their household? or they got engaged and they haven't yet done a hoopah, Let them go back to their home lest they die in battle and another person take their place. Now, right be- below that, it also tells us that they, the uh, spiritual leader says to the troops, is there anyone who is afraid or disheartened? Let him turn back lest the his, his lack of courage Uh, dissuade his comrades, like lest he demoralize his comrades along with him. So some of the commentators say that the previous exemptions are really a cover, that a person would not come out and say, I'm too scared to go out into battle. And by the way, the spiritual dimension of this is that the person might feel that they don't have enough merit before God, that they've done something wrong and therefore God will not be protecting them. So they're given this, Cover of maybe they built a new home, maybe they've planted a vineyard. The one we see that does stand is the exemption of a person who was just married. That uh, there's a mitzvah to rejoice with one's wife for the entire first year, and therefore that person might still be exempt. However, there's discussion if it's a, a defensive war where the Jewish people are in vital danger maybe they wouldn't be exempt. And today I know lots of stories of people who just got married two months ago, six months ago. I can think of two people I know specifically and they're out fighting. They recently got married and they went out and haven't seen their spouse for the last two months or they come home for Shabbat here and there. So the spiritual component is a vital aspect. And if the person doesn't have that spiritual strength, then they're exempted okay so now let's turn to the next question so what is the basis for giving up one's life for putting one's life in danger on the line and how do we understand that that is can be a kiddush Hashem that that can be a religious act so in the Shema itself in the central declaration of Jewish belief it says you should love God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might And with all your soul, the word is nefesh really means your entire being. And the Talmud in Brachot 61b tells us, with all your soul, this is a person who gives up his soul in order to sanctify God's name. And then it quotes Rabbi Akiva who says, with all your soul means even if God takes your soul. So the story of Rabbi Akiva was very poignant. Rabbi Akiva lived during the Hadrianic persecutions. The Romans forbade the Jews from studying and teaching Torah. This was after three rebellions. They were sick of us, and they knew hit us in our Achilles heel, and where it really hurt in our Torah and our spirituality. And Rabbi Kiva continued to teach Torah. They threw him in jail. And his students came to see him, and they were standing by the window of the jail, and he continued to teach Torah. And they said, Rebbe, they're going to kill you. And he says, let me tell you a parable. He says, there's a story of a fish and the fisherman. And the fisherman is trying to catch the fish. So the fox on the bank of the river says to the fish, get out of the water, it's dangerous in there. Come on the bank. Now, of course, we know the fox will just try and eat the fish as well. But he says, or the fish will suffocate at least. So the fish answers, I am a fish and water is in my element, and this is where I belong. And Rabbi Kiva is saying, "I, my whole existence is teaching Torah, and even if I have to give my life for it, this is where I belong. And so in times of persecution, one is sanctioned, one is allowed to give up our life for any aspect of Judaism, especially for teaching Torah. So so that's giving up one's life for one's beliefs, for one's principles. What about putting ourselves in danger to save another person? So the obligation to save another person comes from the Torah itself. The Torah tells us, do not stand by your brother's blood. Al tamod bedam re'echa. If your brother's blood is going to be spilt, you step forward and you save them. You have an obligation to save them, the Talmud tells us in Sanhedrin 73a. So if someone is drowning, we have an obligation to throw them a life jacket, to do whatever we can in order to save them. Now, what about how far does that mean we have to go? How far out of our way? Do I have to travel to the other side of the world to advocate for someone who might be uh, falsely accused? How much of my money do I would I have to spend in order to try and save uh, another person, another Jew? So uh, this obligation uh, to give one's money We know that the obligation to give charity really goes up to 20%. Unless someone's very wealthy, one shouldn't give more than 20% of one's assets. Now that's for a positive commandment, but for a negative commandment of not transgressing, someone says, do this against the Torah or I'll take all your money. We have to be ready to give up all of our money because our spiritual values, of course, are much more important. Now, what about for another person? What if someone is ill? and they need the funds to be healed, do we have to empty our bank account? Do we have to sell or remortgage our house? If it's our close relative, we probably would do, for a child, for a parent, God forbid. But what about for someone else in the community? So Rabbi Asher Weiss points out that while theoretically one might be obligated to do that, in practice, it's really a responsibility of the whole community to come to this person's aid, and therefore I am not personally obligated to spend all my money to save that person. But certainly I should put it as a priority. And uh, recently there have been Jews throughout the world, philanthropists who have been giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy soldiers proper equipment, helmets that will save their life, bulletproof vests that will save their lives, an incredible outpouring of generosity on behalf of the worldwide Jewish community. So that's about spending our money, putting our money on the line. What about putting our life on the line? What if someone's in danger and we, are we allowed to put ourselves in danger to save another person? Now, this comes up uh, in medical situations. Uh, The least dangerous or one of the less dangerous examples of it is uh donating a kidney where a person can save another person's life and there is a danger every time you go under anesthesia there's a danger um having one less kidney is somewhat of a danger although i believe if then a person's only remaining kidney is compromised they're put to the top of the list uh to receive a donation of a kidney from someone else and uh I know people who have donated kidneys and uh, it's a very noble thing to do and an incredible thing that someone might be saving someone's life um I have a history of kidney disease in my family so it kind of became a moot point but uh it's a big commitment to do so and people do it so what about other situations what about if someone is being accosted, do we have to step forward and put ourselves in danger? So the Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, discusses this. And it tells us the story of Rabbi Ami who was kidnapped and held in a place called Sif-Sifa. Sif-Sifa. don't know where that is, but it was probably somewhere in ancient Israel. And Rabbi Yonatan said, wrap up the dead in his sheet, meaning consider them as if they're dead. There's nothing we can do. Anyone who goes in would be putting their lives in danger and maybe even going on a suicide mission. But Rashimon ben Lakish, uh, Rash Lakish as he is known, he said, I will either kill or be killed. I am going and I will release him by force. Now it's very interesting that Rashimon ben Lakish was a gangster before he turned to Tara did tshuva, and became one of the great rabbis of the Talmud. So uh, he was used to living in that world. and, um, And it says he went, he appeased the kidnappers, and they handed Rabbi Ami back. So he didn't even have to fight. And he put himself in danger, and he saved Rabbi Ami. So from there, it might seem like the obligation to not stand by one's brother's blood might mean even putting our lives in danger. So, uh, the Arach HaShulchan, Rabbi Michal Epstein, also a great 19th century sage, in Choshen Mishpat 426.4, he quotes, uh, the. he says that this story in the Talmud is not widely quoted by the medieval sages. And he says that um therefore we see that it is clear that one is not obligated to endanger ourselves to save another person now he says we're not obligated however he says every situation has to be evaluated carefully be seen in its context and he says one must weigh this matter extremely carefully and not be overprotective of oneself and anyone who saves another Jew, as it's as if they've saved an entire world. I myself had a situation. I was with a friend at the beach in Ashdod, and later I found out when they built the port, there are strong riptides and unfortunately drownings there. And I was, uh, we were in the water, and after a while I went out, and this friend liked to stay in the water a long time. I was reading a book and I was, after a while, I was saying, I was thinking to myself, strange, he's still not back. I know he liked to stay in the water, but it was a really long time. So I, I, I sensed something might be off. I got up and I saw people standing at the edge of the, of, the, of the surf and they were looking out. And sure enough, I looked out and I saw someone out there and I realized it was him. And I really didn't even think about it. I just jumped, put, to, took off my shirt jumped in the water, and started going towards him. And I was fortunate that uh, I grew up the first summers of my life on the ocean, and I'm pretty confident in the ocean. I took life-saving courses and realized that it wasn't so dangerous. He was just trying to walk against the tide when really what you do is you let yourself uh, be, you just float when the tide pulls out and then hold your feet on the ground to prevent yourself from going any further out. And then when the waves go in, you ride the waves in. And that's what I did with him. And we were brought to safety. What would I have done if I would evaluated that it was, would have been extremely dangerous for me as well? I don't know what I would have done, honestly. Um, one is not obligated either to throw away one's life to try and save another person. So what are the criteria? So some of the uh, legal opinions say that if, f- let's say there's a fire in that building, if you would have gone into that fire to save your possessions, then you should certainly go in to try and save another person. But, you know, you know the joke, your money or your life, and the person says, hmm, I'll have to think about that. Uh, so... Um, but seriously, if a person is in danger, that's they say that that might be the criterion of certainly if we go for your possessions, you should go to save the person's life. Beyond that, a grave danger, we're not obligated. Um, the Beit Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Kara says if there's a 50% chance of saving the person, then one should go in. Um And, uh, but as we said before, it is not an obligation. Now, if you really think about it, every soldier who goes out to battle, in a sense, they're defending their own lives because they're part of the country, but really they're defending the collective, they're defending everyone else's life. And so uh, it would be easy for a person to say, you know what, one less soldier, they can live without me. I'll stay safe. But we realize if everyone did that, then there would be no army. And so it's still a situation where, um, and in battle, there are many times. Uh, a few days ago, there was a very tragic incident where one part of a unit was ambushed. The other part got separated. Then there was booby trapped. and more soldiers went in to save them. And uh, there are 10 soldiers who fell in battle. So we see that in the heat of war, that there are many situations where people are putting their lives on the line to save their fellow soldier, putting themselves in even graver danger. And we're told that the people who do, people who put their lives on the line to save another, if they fall in battle, they are falling in what we call Kiddush Hashem, They're giving their lives for the Jewish people, and because they're Jewish, and as we see, the the wars that Israel fights, it's not about Zionism, it's not even about this piece of land. They hate us because we are Jewish, and the bias of the world turning against us, and some of them cheering on terrorists and horror, is a clear indication of that. So what is called martyrdom, dying to save others. There's a story in the Talmud, Baba Batra B, where it says that there was a town uh, that was threatened by the Romans. Apparently, someone had killed the daughter of one of the governors and the town was going to be wiped out. And they said, hand over the person who did this or we'll wipe out the entire town. And apparently, they didn't know who did it. The person didn't come forward. And so there were two brothers, the Haruge Lod, they were known as, and they came out and gave their lives. And so the story goes in the Talmud that the rabbi, the son of uh, one of the rabbis was very ill, and he was sick and he almost died and he came back. And they asked him, what did you see on the other side? And he said, we saw a section where no one else is, where people are such exalted status that no one can stand in their section. And Talmud asked, who is that? These are the martyrs of Lud who died sanctifying God's name, even though they were not Torah scholars. We see that their place in the next world was very special. So, by, the, by extension, the same idea that the soldiers who are dying for the Jewish people, for the state of Israel, we believe that, they are dying for noble cause they're dying for the jewish people and they will be given a special reward in the next world a spiritual reward not a physical one but they are heroes they are spiritual heroes and we should have incredible reverence for them and for what they do and um the uh there's a special custom that those who die in this way, including the ones who had, who died who were died from the hands of the terrorists, are buried in the clothes in which they were killed, because it's said that God's mercy will be aroused uh, by the blood that is on their clothes. And Rabbi Soloveitchik was asked a very interesting question. He was asked, "How do we view religiously the flag of Israel? Does it have any special significance?" And he said, just like the clothes of those who were martyred are become holy with the blood of the martyrs, so too the flag of Israel has taken on a special status, special significance, a special meaning of the reestablishment of the Jewish people and all those who have given their lives for it. And the difference is today, there was a the story of Rabbi Gustman who lost his son, the Nazis killed his son while he was holding him in his hands. And he survived the war and he had to live with this. And one of his students, Rabbi, uh, not Rabbi, Shlomo Alman, who's professor, his son fell in battle in one of the wars in Israel. And he went to come visit him. And he said to him, my son Mayer, who was killed in the Shoah, will be welcoming your Shlomo. He said, but there's a difference. He said, your Shlomo fell because he had the opportunity to defend himself in, and the Jewish people. And that is something great, which will be a comfort to him and to our people. And so we see that every day there are young Jewish Men and women who are putting their lives in danger for our people. And we should really think about that and say that if they are living to, willing to die for the Jewish people and for Judaism and Torah, then certainly we should rededicate ourselves to living for the Jewish people, for Torah, and for the state of Israel.